From the southeastern corner of western North Carolina, this is Polklore. I'm your host, James Hernishan. Even if you're a veteran at casting ballots, this year's election is going to be more than a little different. For one thing, even though voting is a right guaranteed to all adult citizens of this country, and it is a right and a responsibility, not just a privilege, this year you're going to have to prove you are who the voting records say you are if you show up to vote in person, which most everyone who cares to exercise this right will probably do. That's not the only change that the state legislature has foisted on us. In fact, Polk County has been singled out for several additional changes to the way we vote and the way we're represented at the municipal, county, state, and federal levels. I could just list them all, but that would be boring, and I might as well just blog about it, which would be so very 2010. Instead, I asked our county's director of elections, Cliff Marr, to go over them with me, and he graciously agreed. I'm willing to bet you'll learn a few things you didn't even know you didn't know. Cliff and I recorded our conversation in early February at the Board of Elections' new home on Ward Street in Columbus, which is another change we'll have to get used to. So if you're voting early, don't blame anyone if you get turned away from the Womack building. Cliff Marr, welcome to Polklore. Thank you. I appreciate the chance to be on. I think this is going to be a very educational episode because we're talking about simply how this election this year is going to work. There have been some changes. Uh, many changes. Uh, many yes. changes. And and I've talked about some of those in previous podcast episodes from a political point of view, but now we're going to talk about it from a practical, logistical point of view. First of all, though, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in this job. Okay. So uh, quick story on that, right? I was in a big class, a uh, national certification class for election officials. There's probably 500 officials from all over the country in the room. And the speaker got up and said, so how many of you, uh, you know, decided you're going to make elections a career? And there was not a single hand raised in that entire room. Nobody, you know, uh, sets out to be an elections official, at least uh, up to this point. So, uh, so how did I end up here? I have a math and technical background, um, and uh, in the year 2007. The Board of Elections in Henderson County had just converted to uh, electronic touchscreen voting machines, and they were looking for somebody to manage those machines because this was a sort of a new level of technology that uh, none of their staff had experience with. So uh, I was asked by the director at that time to come on board and be their voting machine technician. And that was, uh, yeah, that was 2007 in Henderson County. Uh, I worked there for eight years as their voting machine technicians and election specialists. And then um, after about eight years, Polk County uh, had been advertising for a number of years for an elections director. And, you know, at that point, I uh, threw my hat in the ring and uh, got the job down here. The board uh, hired me and one month before the primary started in 2016, the presidential primary in 2016. Well, that was an interesting year, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, very busy year. All right. So let's talk then about what voters need to know about how to vote this year, because a lot of things have changed since they probably last cast a ballot. Uh, that's true. So 
there are there are a few main ways that the voters will be uh, affected. Of course, there have been many changes in the way we're going to administrate. But as in terms of how the voters uh, approach voting, there are a couple big things. And the first one would be at the state level is the requirement to present a photo ID when you come to vote. Um, and so we had done that once before in uh, the primaries of 2018, um, but that uh, went away due to court orders. And then, a new, you know, the new photo ID law came online and is now going to be, um, you know, the law in North Carolina going forward. That will be very different. We will, you know, ask the voter to present a photo ID. And if they do not have one, they will have to go into the provisional voting process to vote. So. It's going to be important that voters understand uh, the photo ID requirements. Well, can we talk then what kind of photo IDs are acceptable? Okay, so there are many. Uh, there's a large list, but the, the basic ones are uh, a North Carolina's driver's license or a state identification card, a U.S. passport, any kind of military ID with a photo. And then there are um, many various school and university cards and then uh, employer cards like for county governments that have also been approved by the state board of elections. But the main ones are, of course, the driver's license, passport, military IDs. Um, and then beyond that, there's there are, there are many types of smaller individual ones uh, and the uh, the, the full list is on the State Board of Elections website. Well, I can imagine that the a list of approved IDs that people are familiar with, most people would have one. But there might be a few folks, some older retired folks who don't drive anymore, don't travel anymore. Can they get an ID from you? Yes. So uh, we uh, here in our office at the Board of Elections, we have the capability of producing a photo ID for voting purposes only. I think at this point, uh, we've probably produced about 28 uh, cards for voters in Polk County. It typically tends to be a more elderly population um, or maybe just a, a population that doesn't really drive um, who, who needs these IDs. But yes, uh, we produce them um, upon request. You do have to be a registered voter uh, to receive the photo ID. Um, but if you are registered, you can come in and it takes about five minutes uh, to get your ID produced. Well, it doesn't sound like a lot of effort. No, uh, we uh, we try and make it as easy as possible. All right, what's next on the list? Of okay, so uh, beyond photo ID, there are also a lot of changes to uh, the rules for absentee ballot by mail. Um, and the big one for the voters to understand is that absentee ballots must be back in our office uh, by the end of voting on uh, primary or election day. It used to be that there was a grace period. If the ballot had been postmarked before election day, we could receive those up to three days after election day and still count those ballots. However, now um, those ballots must be in our office under any circumstance uh, by the end of the primary uh, for those ballots to be counted. The notable exception there are our military and uh, overseas citizens who uh, still can get their ballot in by canvas day, which is 10 days after the election. Those ballots will still count by federal law. However, the, your general citizen in Polk County, uh, they need to have their ballot back in our office by primary day. How many absentee ballots would you expect to deal with 
in a in a typical Okay, okay, so typically we're going to run between 250 and 400 absentee ballots. That would be a normal number for us. Um, however, say in 2020, uh, when the COVID rules were in effect, we uh, we had over 2,000 absentee ballots. So that number typically, like I said, between 250 and 400, but it can go um, much, much higher due you know, to circumstances um, in life. And when would those ballots be counted? Uh, so they are counted uh, on a weekly basis uh, by the Bipartisan Board of Elections. Uh, we're actually currently meeting now every Tuesday at 5 o'clock and uh, counting the ballots that have been uh, submitted at that point. So um, we essentially count those ballots weekly every Tuesday at a public meeting up until Election Day. And so by the time we get to Election Day, um, you know, we have all those ballots counted and ready to go. So not very many would arrive like on election day. No, and so we we would typically have about four to five ballots at at, um, at the most that would arrive after election day, but before the debt, you know, the proper deadline. So um, those are called supplemental absentees, and we would typically have just a handful of those. Um, you know, typically they're postmarked the day before the election. And it just took the mail a little while to get them to us. Okay, but those rules have changed, and so that is no longer an option. Um, you know, the, we're emphasizing the ballots have to be in our office um, on primary day. So people have to take this a little bit more seriously. Yeah, it's better to do better to do it earlier than later. Uh, always. Yeah. Okay. What about the notion uh, that people are going to have to figure out which congressional district they're in this time? Okay, so uh, yeah, that's this is new uh, for Polk County that we have a, a split in a congressional district. In fact, any split at all. And so really that burden falls upon my office and our staff to hand people the correct ballot based on their residence location. We do have some tools available online uh, through the county. The county GIS system, which is uh, publicly available, uh, has the tools to be able to see uh, which district you're in, uh, but also a voter can look themselves up at the, on the state board website. And um, the when you do your lookup, it will show you which sample ballot is yours. So essentially, if you are going to vote with uh, the Democrat or Republican Party, there are, there's two different ballots, uh, one for the 11th and one for the 14th. And so uh, if you look yourself up online in your voter record, it will show you the proper sample ballot. Uh, beyond that, then the voter can always call our office and ask uh, which which district they're in. But generally speaking, everybody who's in Tryon, Columbus 1 or 2, or Green Creek precincts, they're going to be in the 14th congressional. Everybody who's in Saluda and uh, Cooper Gap are going to be in the 11th district and white oak is the one that has the split district so if you live in white oak uh, you may be in the 11th you may be in the 14th depending sorry about that white oak folks but uh that's the way it goes yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so you asked uh, about the the voters coming so there then there's one local issue right that we have uh that will impact voters voting this election and that's that our office has moved location. And so early voting will now no longer be taking place at the Womack building uh, in downtown Columbus, um, but at our new location at 231 Ward Street. 
uh, which is just down the road, maybe three blocks from the old location. But we do anticipate that there will be many voters who start out at the Womack building and then have to find their way over here. So that will be new. Um, and we do expect that that will be uh, slightly confusing if the voter has not heard um, that we have moved. Well, that's what I'm trying to do, right? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, we're trying to put out the word in many different uh, in ways, though, you know, reaching Polk County citizens is, uh, is difficult. Uh, we have a difficult media market. I'm just curious, this is a side question, mm -hmm. but why the moves? It was in the Walmart building for the longest time. Sure. And so in the Walmart building, we basically had uh, two small rooms uh, that comprised our office. And um, we have voted in the Walmart building in my time. So that's been eight years. The configuration of that voting has been very different each and every time. At first, we were voted up in our office on the second floor. Uh, eventually, the county allowed us to vote on the bottom floor. Uh, we had some elevator issues and things that came into play. So they were we were able to take over the bottom floor essentially and vote on the bottom floor, which was very disruptive to everything else going on in that building. And so really about two years and two months ago, uh, I made a presentation to the commissioners at one of their meetings that the election board was very interested in securing a, no, a new location for two reasons. Uh, one was to get a better and more permanent early voting location, you know, one that we can, you know, make good and and would uh, become a permanent early voting location for the citizens, and then two uh, that we would have better voting machine security. So in our offices at the Womack Building, we do not did not have space for all of our equipment, and so we had been leasing a, a large warehouse space in Green Creek, which is about a twenty minute drive away. So it was a very difficult logistics uh, prospect for us to constantly drive back and forth to our equipment to get it ready for an election. Also, you know, as far as voting machine security, now we have the machines and equipment under our roof, under our supervision at all times. For this primary, they've already been tested and locked away and stored. Uh, we have video, you know, uh, camera system on all the machines, and so a very big upgrade to voting machine security. Those are the reasons why county graciously, you know, approved the uh, finances to let us move. Well, it's very reassuring. Uh, one thing that I found interesting over the last few elections is all the fuss about voter uh, machine security, right? There's a lot of allegations and crazy theories about <laughs> recent elections, uh, but I don't ever remember hearing anyone complain about Polk County security. Things always seem to run pretty smoothly here. Sure. Um, maybe before you were you were in charge, and so just an extra layer of security or extra attention paid to that issue should make people feel even more secure, right? Yes, I, I believe so. And and really, uh, we have heard from Polk County citizens that voting machine security, you know, is important to them. Um, I do think that you know our systems have been adequate, though we are always looking to continuously improve. You know, those things that can be improved. Yeah, typically, uh, Polk County, we have had not had many complaints specifically about the way we've handled the machines. A typical conversation goes with me, uh, you know, yeah, we, we, we feel really good about what's happening in Polk County, but what's, what's happening everywhere else? Um, and so I feel like our office has done a fairly good job within Polk County building the trust of our voters and citizens 
uh, to the point where we're not necessarily under the cloud of suspicion that seems to be out there nationally. Uh, I don't necessarily feel that pressure at this point, though. A couple things to keep in mind is all of our activities are very transparent. So anytime we handle ballots, count ballots, open the machines, count ballots from the machines, it's always done in a public meeting under the supervision of our bipartisan board of elections, and we can document those processes. So uh, we have a pretty tight system. Uh, I do think the voters have, have trusted it. You know, before my time, we had a director here who, who was in the position for 30 years, Dale Edwards, who really set the standard for, for good systems. It was a very different time. But yeah, Polk has always had pretty good leadership, and uh, I don't know that we've ever had a real breach of trust with the voters at this point. All right, well, let's get back to some of the new things people might expect. One of the things that I've been very interested in in, in this podcast has been the Board of Education, mm-hmm. and they will be partisan for the first time. I think people are still, they have been confused for quite some time over how to vote for Board of Education candidates because even though we're split up into precincts, you get to vote for all of them, right? So how's that going to work in the primary? So there are no school board candidates on any primary ballots uh, currently for Polk County because there's not enough uh, opposition. So uh, to trigger a primary, there needs to be uh, you know more candidates for the seat than um, So if there's one seat available, you need two candidates from a particular party to be running to trigger a primary. Uh, We had very uh, low interest in the school board seats uh, during candidate filing. And so um, we actually don't have any primaries. Every candidate who applied uh, has already sort of been forwarded onto the general election. Okay. Well, what I should have asked is what's it going to be like in November? Because I think just people need to be reminded that even though, say, they live in Saluda, they're not just going to be voting for the Saluda candidate. Right? That's correct. So the way we explain that, so the technical way that's explained, right, is you file by district. So candidates file by district, but the voting is at large. So the entire county votes, you know, on every school board candidate. Uh, we do see a lot of undervoting uh, in the school board candidates. But there shouldn't be any real, there, the voters won't really perceive any difference between um, the way that that's displayed on the ballot in November, um, other than the candidates will now have their party affiliation listed next to their name. That's going to be the, the big difference. But if we did have a primary for that, would it be the same thing? You get to cast a, a, a ballot for each of the districts? Yes, as long as there were you know enough candidates right. in there, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we don't have any contests in Polk County where only a select portion of the of the voters can vote on any particular thing in Polk County. The way our districts are arranged, everybody always gets to vote on everything, regardless of how they file. Okay. Is there anything else we need to know? It's uh, changed. So those are the big ones that the voters will be facing uh, behind the scenes. We've got a lot going on. Uh, there may be there's some changes regarding the composition of our elections board. There are a lot of rules uh, that we now have to follow in regards to photo ID and how to process uh, 
the various forms, lack of ID, the um, reasonable impediment form that a voter can fill out if they don't have an ID or have lost it or something of that nature. So there are many, many rules in the background that have changed the way we administrate, but the voters aren't necessarily going to see those changes. Mostly that will still be, you know, for them, you know, like photo ID, uh, absentee ballot return, and then our location. Things well, like I, I was just reading this morning, actually, a, a report that came out from a couple of voter advocacy groups, uh, Democracy NC and the League of Women Voters, and they did a, a study of what happened in last year's elections. Now, we didn't have any municipal elections uh, in 2023 because the state took, took that away from us. But where in the counties where they did have them, there were still some problems. There was some sort of getting the kinks out because there were new rules. And the reasonable impediment form, for instance, was causing some problems because it allows election officials to kind of use their best judgment on whether or not someone was really had a reasonable impediment for not having a voter ID. So in other words, in an off-year election, some counties got a chance to work out the kinks. Well, we didn't have that here. Are you, I know, paying attention to what happened oh, yeah. in other counties? So, so, it, so yeah, certainly, uh, you know, uh, we're boards of elections across the state are pretty tight with one another. We're organized into regions and we're always paying attention to what each other are doing and helping each other out. So yes, uh, we paid a lot of attention, especially to what's going on in the big counties because they experienced a much higher volume of, you know, reasonable impediment uh, forms and whatnot. So, um, so yes, all those lessons learned were gathered up together and the state actually just had a training conference um, on Monday and Tuesday, so the past two days. And on one of those classes, they essentially uh, collated all the problems and uh, told us about them and, you know, tried to provide guidance on how to work through it. Uh, generally speaking, the idea um, is that the, uh, so the, uh, the poll workers are really not making any decisions about the forms or the photo ID. Um, they're driving the process through, but all the critical decisions are actually being made by the five-person board of elections. Uh, you know, they're bipartisan, and they review each and every one of those cases individually and basically vote, you know, approve or deny. And uh, the state board guidance has been you assume that the voter is telling the truth on the form unless you have specific knowledge otherwise. And so generally speaking, the the reasonable impediment form should be acknowledged by the most boards under most circumstances. There are some some cases that I know got tough uh, are like if a voter indicated that they were going to bring a photo ID back to the board of elections and display that before canvas, then it allows the board to count that ballot. But if the voter said that they were going to do that and then did not bring that back, that would be one of the few cases where a board would probably deny the reasonable impediment. All right. I think that most people are going to feel pretty confident that things are going to go at least as well as they've been going for the last few years. One thing we can never predict is you know, how much interest people are going to have in, a, in an election. I can think we can expect it'll be relatively high in this November. Uh, what's, a, what's a typical turnout rate for a primary in, in Polk County and a typical turnout rate for general election? Okay. Yeah. So 
Uh, I have the stats uh, in front of me for the last three presidential elections, so 2012, 16, and 20. And um, actually, it's pretty interesting when you look at it. Primaries by far have a much lower turnout. So in 2020, we had a 31% turnout in the primary. But in the general election, we had a 75% turnout, So, um, which was a record for us in the modern era by far. That's extraordinary, yes. actually. Yeah. So we would normally be around 68, 70% for a presidential election. But yeah, an extra 5, 6% is a big deal to us logistically. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a very large turnout. But then interestingly, right, in 2016, the primary turnout was 38.9%. So almost what nine points eight points higher um than 2020 but the general election turnout was lower at 68.4 percent so it's actually very difficult to predict um i think the primary turnout is the one that's more difficult to predict general election is almost always going to be between 68 and now i'm going to say 75 percent but in that 70% range, the primary looks like it's been ranging between 30 and 40% depending on the interest level of that year. Well, I got to say, looking at the ballots that uh, we have at our disposal, and it should be pointed out that anyone can choose to vote in either primary, the Democrat or the Republican or the Libertarian. That's right? not only the unaffiliated can make that choice. Right. And when would you have had to have changed your party? So uh, the voter registration deadline is February 9th. Uh, <laughs> so they have two days basically to change their uh, party for voting purposes. So if you're hearing this at that point, it's too late. But yeah, uh, so people who are not registered can still register and vote during the early voting period. But people who are registered, they're locked into their party choice. And what's the breakdown of the of the party and unaffiliated registration in Polka. Okay, so unaffiliateds are the largest group, uh, followed by the Republicans and then the Democrats. I think probably Libertarians are next, and then Green Party, and then No Labels. <laughs> so, there actually are some No Labels. Yeah, yeah, and okay. I, uh, we actually feel we might have some trouble with the No Labels. Don't have any uh, ballot to vote on in this primary because they are choosing all their candidates by convention. Um, and so we do feel like um, it's possible that some of the people in that category may have thought that they were uh, becoming unaffiliated because it sounds, you know, reasonable. But when they show up to vote, they w there's not going to be a ballot for them. That's interesting. Yeah. I, the thing that occurs to me is that we had a big turnout in, in 2020 in the general election. And we're probably going to have the same two presidential candidates this time. That could either drive voter turnout up or way down, depending on how you're how happy you are with having the same two people on. And I mean, do you have any sense? I mean, this is sort of outside sure. of mainly what gives mm -hmm. what are people feeling about this election. Uh, so our early indications with the for the primary are that our absentee ballot requests seem to be a little low. Um, I. Uh, certainly not seeing any uh, real uptick in absentee ballot requests. Uh, so I do believe we're probably going to be looking at a typical 30 to 40% turnout that it won't be extraordinary, that it'll be normal for a primary. As far as the general election, yeah, it's very difficult. We don't uh, typically concern ourselves too much with the turnout numbers. Uh, we prepare for a hundred percent turnout, reg regardless of what the numbers say or the polling says. Um, 
we're always prepared for every last voter in Polk County to show up and vote. And so um, people typically look at the turnout numbers as a measure, you know, of how effective we're being as an office. But, you know, we don't really, I don't think, affect turnout uh, in a great way. Our mission, right, is to make voting as accessible and as easy as possible for the voters. Um, and so, uh, so that if 100% people people showed up to vote, we would be able to accommodate them, uh, you know, without too much hassle. And um, uh, beyond that, yeah, the turnout seems to be more driven by, uh, you know, things out of our control and more the national stories and, and sort of the candidates who are still in the running. Um, I do think that, say, the um, amount of candidates who have dropped out of the presidential race will result in a lower turnout, uh, for example, in the primary. Well, that's yeah. it's as good a prediction as any, I think. Um, what, one last question. Do you have an advertising budget? Like, is is there an element to your job that is trying to try to get people interested in the election? Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's uh, as far as getting people interested. I really believe um, from my perspective, and maybe not not every election official would, would uh, look at it this way, but that, that's a... That's a, really the job of the candidates and the and the political parties uh, to tread out their their people, but we do you know so we have an advertising budget for sure. There's a certain amount of advertising that we're required by law to do, so we certainly do that. Beyond that, uh, no, we don't. Uh, I'm trying to advertise, say, our new building location as best as possible through the website, through signs, uh, you know, through the newspaper and uh, podcasts such as this one. Yeah, so the county have given us a pretty generous advertising budget. A lot of that's eaten up by um, the things that we have to do. But no, we don't. Uh, it's very difficult for us to say target um, advertising that wouldn't be looked at as being favorable to one group and not another. Uh, and so we're always very cautious about you know trying to make sure that our services are available to everybody. Um, and that we're not targeting any particular um, demographic or, you know, location in the county for special attention, um, because our job is to uh, do that for everybody. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to wrap up. Okay. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, good luck in this year's primary in November, making sure that we don't have any glitches. Uh, I think people are pretty confident that things are going to go okay. Thanks again for your time, and uh, maybe we can chat after November. Yeah, sure. We're always uh, we're always willing to speak in this office about election and election related stuff. We love to get out good information, um, and so I'll leave us with this: right, that uh, if any voter ever has any confusion or questions about the process, they should feel free to call us. Um, our number is eight two eight eight nine four eight one eight one. Uh, we're always happy to answer your questions and uh, we want everybody to come vote. So if there's any confusion about photo ID or the process or whatnot, we want you to come uh, and, and vote and we will walk you through the, the process that's available to you. Um, but we, we really don't want to see people staying home because they didn't understand the, the new processes. We will help you through any process if you show up and allow us to. Right. And to, to that end, I'm, I'm going to put some links in the show notes to this episode to the things like Voter Lookup so you can find out which district you're in, a link to your website, and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, that would be wonderful. All right. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. And there you go. Everything you need to know about fulfilling your responsibility to take part in the democratic experiment that is the U.S. of A. I had hoped to have this episode up before early voting in the primaries began the day after Valentine's Day. But you know how it is. Life comes at you just when you least expect it. Fortunately, my talk with Cliff took very little editing, and I expect most of those who will take part in the primary will not have gotten around to taking advantage of the opportunity just yet. Remember, if you're registered but unaffiliated, you can ask for any of the three-party ballots. Voting day is March 5th. As always, if you have any thoughts you'd like to share on what this podcast should be doing and whom I should be talking with, email them to jamesh at Thanks for listening.